You may have a seat. So glad that you are here. And guess what book we're going to be in today? Acts, not Matthew. But we will go back to Matthew a couple of times today. It's just such a good book, right? Can't stay away from it too far. But we're going to start Acts. So for the next five years, we're going to be (laughs) potentially in the book of Acts. I say that jokingly, but seriously. Because it really could take that long. But that'll be okay. Because it is a great book. There are so many great things in it. And I am excited to share it with you. Happy 4th of July. Right? Happy Independence Day. Great opportunity to celebrate our freedom. But not just our freedom as a country, but our freedom as Christians. Our independence really started because we wanted spiritual independence. And then it moved into all kinds of independence. But let's remember it for what it really is, spiritual independence. And I am happy and pleased to be able to be spiritually independent. Not told what I have to worship, what I have to think, but have the freedom to choose on my own to worship the only God that truly exists. And so that is why you're here this morning. Hopefully you're glad that you're here, right? So... Many of you have been wondering about uh, the court case, and I appreciate you constantly asking. I'd get various uh, updates, but I wanted to let you know I got a newest update on, uh, is it either Friday or Saturday? I can't remember uh, which one it was. But, uh, so apparently, uh, there is a motion to dismiss the case through the governor's uh, lawyers. So uh, there's a hearing in October that I was requested to be at, and so I quickly fired back and said, what does that mean? And I just have to be there, which is great, um, but it is a hearing to try to dismiss, and that's in October, I think it's the 18th. So if you could be praying that that does not go through, that it is not dismissed, because there is a hearing right after that if it is not dismissed as to try to get just a ruling to be made very quickly on uh, what we are asking the governor to do, which is basically leave us alone uh, in no uncertain terms. Actually, our Constitution of Delaware sets that up, uh, and so... That is coming up. That's kind of where we're at. Uh, They've been trying to push it along as quick as they can. It just takes time. So thank you for the prayers. Thanks for asking. Uh, But October 18th will be a big day. Uh, So if you could be praying for that, I would greatly appreciate it. So that's the wonderful part about being free, right? You got to defend it every now and again. Got to stand up. Just like many of you who served our country has defended it. Many of those who gave their lives had defended it. We as a church want to defend our right for religious freedom. And so let's continue to do that, all right? However, what we're going to talk about today is something even more important than that. Way more important than that. Serving God is the most important thing that we could ever do. Apart from your job, even more than raising kids, serving God really plays into all of those things. And we just finished the book of Matthew, which gives us a great picture of who Christ is from a Jewish perspective. Luke, in his account of the gospel, gives us a very detailed understanding of who Jesus is. And now he's writing in the book of Acts, giving us the fallout of Jesus's presence here, how people uh, attached themselves to his calling and carried it out in what we call the Acts of the Apostles. And so we're going to see all of these things that Jesus taught for three and a half years coming to fruition and men and women alike taking it forward and allowing it to expand. 
And it's still expanding, just so you know. Like, it's still moving. This isn't some historical thing we're going to talk about that it just happened back then. It's still taking place. In fact, one of the neatest things that we saw is uh, in the very first part of Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 2, talking about that Jesus began. Just because he died and rose again did not mean that his job was done. He is still working. That was just the beginning point. He is still moving. Over 2,000 years later, he is still doing what he did just in a little bit different way through the power of his spirit. That's cool stuff to me. But what do we do in the meantime? You ever been to um, an amusement park and you have to wait in lines that are forever? I mean, there's only so much stuff you can talk about, right? There's only so many conversations and topics you can talk. And then at some point, you just kind of sit there and look at each other. So in that waiting, Sally and I always try to make it fun for our teenagers. We try to ask dumb questions or play dumb games while we're standing there. Try to keep our kids from climbing all over the poles. And, and me, actually. <laughs> but in the waiting, we can kind of go stir crazy, right? And we forget what we're waiting for. We forget how we're supposed to act. But in this life, we are not waiting for the next paycheck. We're not waiting for that next new car or next house. In this life, as believers, we are waiting for the return of Christ. That's what we're waiting on. And if you're not there yet, I want to encourage you and push you to get there. Because your perspective is too worldly, it's too much on what you do now, and Christ is not going after that. He's not interested in that as much as changing your view to be hopelessly lost and being uh, patiently waiting for his return. That's what he's looking for. Because as we're waiting for his return, now he's got our attention and he can move in our lives and construct us and remake us and remold us into who he wants us to be. But if I'm too concerned with all this outside noise, too concerned with details that I have no reason even knowing, then I'm going to miss out on so much that he has to offer. So here's one thing we can do. We can be a witness in the waiting. We can be a witness in the waiting. Now, many of you just kind of cringed up a little bit. You're like, oh, no. He's talking evangelism. He's going to start door knocking, and we've got to know all the right answers, and we've got to do this. No, just take a breath. A witness is simply someone who is willing to speak on behalf of what God is doing in their life. There's no right or wrong answer to that. You know what God's doing in your heart. You know what God has done in your life. Simply sharing that is a testimony. It's a witness. Listen, how many of y'all have either gone to a party or gone to a movie and you come back and you tell your friends, here's what happened. You just gave a testimony of what you saw and experienced in whatever you were involved in. All of you do that. Am I right? Okay, just making sure you're still with me. Because the reality is, if we're not sharing what Christ is doing in our lives, then maybe we're not proud of what he's got going on in our lives. Maybe we're not as concerned as we think we are about who he is and who we are in him. 
Now, again, I'm not asking you to beat people over the head and just pound them with truth and all the... But when the opportunity presents itself for you to share something spectacular that God has done in your life, that is your chance to share your testimony, to be a witness. Because in the waiting, we have to have a job. We've got to work because you want to eat. You want to not walk around naked. You want to be able to drive. You want to have some things. So in the waiting for Christ to come back, there are things that we need to be doing. But again, if we can shift our focus away from those things because Christ has already told us, if you focus on me, I'll take care of all that. If we can shift our focus on being a witness with our mouth, with our actions, with our reactions, with our thinking, this world would be turned upside down. I'm a firm believer the reason our nation is in the state that it is in is not just because of our government. I had to filter that really quick. <laughs> but I am a firm believer that it is because too many Christians have kept quiet. Yeah. And we can point our fingers all we want at all the politicians. I had to filter that again. All the politicians <laughs> that we want to and blame it on them because we're really good at that as Christians. But the reality is, what are you doing in your workplace to change the narrative? What are you doing in your neighborhood to change the thought line? What are you doing in your home to teach your children and to model for your family what it looks like to be a godly man or woman? Because that's where it's at. They're going to do what they're going to do. You're responsible for you. And what you do. So in the meantime, in the waiting, let's be a witness. Are you kidding me? We have so many good things to talk about. I literally could spend the rest of this time just talking about the things that we could be a witness of that God has done. Just in my own personal life. Why don't we share that? Listen, you know when that opportunity presents itself. Take it. Jump on it. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel weird. But it won't afterwards. I can promise you that. Now, so let's get into Acts chapter 1, 1 through 8. Such a great passage. Verse 8 is kind of our model for how we do our missions giving. But let's start in verse 1. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. This is Luke. And he's talking about his gospel account. And we'll see in just a moment that actually Luke wrote his gospel account to Theophilus. He's being a legitimate testimonial person of, or he's giving his testimony to Theophilus. So he would know this is who Jesus is. He says, both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Again, this is Luke, a doctor who is always looking for facts, tells us that Jesus absolutely rose again because there's infallible proofs. Proofs that cannot be mistaken. Proofs that cannot be uh, misunderstood. They are infallible proofs that Jesus died, buried, and was alive again. 
being seen by them uh, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you remember back when we've talked over these past few years, Jesus is constantly referring to, I have to go, I'm going to leave you, don't be discouraged, I'm sending, or the Father will send a helper. His own spirit will come and reside within you. I know that sounds kind of wooky for some of you, but it's legitimate. And he will guide you in all things. He will give you what you need to know. He will help you understand what to say. He will be with you always. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Or the kingdom to Israel. Again, this makes me giggle. The Jewish people have been constantly looking for the Messiah to come to establish a kingdom. They understood that as an earthly kingdom. Jesus meant it as, no, no, no. I'm going to establish the heavenly kingdom. It is not time yet. He constantly, for three and a half years, helps him try to process, helps him try to understand. And even after his death, burial, and resurrection, when he is there with them, they simply ask the question, now is it time? They still are missing the point of why he came. They want to know things that are outside their lane. In fact, Jesus tells them, and he says to them in verse 7, it's not for you to know times or season which the Father has put in his own authority. That is a strong answer. Here's what that means. There are questions that I ask God that I'm probably not going to get any answer because it's way outside my pay grade. But that doesn't seem fair. He's a loving God. He's got to answer all my prayers. No, he doesn't. No. It may be, be better for you that you don't know. He's looking at these disciples and saying, guys, listen. I know what you're asking. I understand what you're looking for. But it's not time yet. And only God the Father knows that answer. And so you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. But you shall receive power in verse 8 when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He said something spectacular is going to happen while you're waiting. And while you're waiting, it's going to be so spectacular you're not going to really understand it all. But it's going to overtake you and you are going to be empowered to just go and be a witness. You're going to take all the things that I have instructed you and commanded you and it's going to come together and you're going to be able to go and do. But you got to wait. Isn't that our favorite? How many of you, when you go to Walmart, you see the line and you're like, I'm out. My sister and I were at IHOP the other morning to get breakfast together. There's a line. And the lady comes over, it's going to be five minutes. Well, everybody around us were like, yeah, that's what she said five minutes ago. And I'm like, how long you been here? A long time. See you later. We're so impatient. 
it, it makes sense to me why Christians get themselves in trouble. Because we are not patient enough to wait on the Lord. We can go back to the Old Testament and look at King Saul. King Saul was so impatient, he made a sacrifice on his own without waiting for the priest to get there. That is all of us. We're all impatient. And now we hear God saying to us, hey, wait. I'm sending my son back to come get you. You need to wait. Well, I don't want to wait. I want it now, right? But he says, wait. How good is your waiting? I'm not talking about waiting in lines and waiting for your food. I'm talking about how is your waiting on the Lord? Now, I'm not talking about the return part. I'm talking about in your daily life. How is your waiting? That's a tough question to answer, isn't it? It's really hard. Good luck with that. <laughs> we'll get back to it. So Theophilus, many of you may be wondering, who is this guy? We are not sure. Uh, it's believed that maybe he was a Jew, maybe he was a Roman uh, um, um, servant. We do know that he was a friend of Luke, so much so that Luke writes the gospel account basically for him, as well as the Acts of the Apostles for him. Um, some theologians would say that he was the financier of this project for Luke to be able to write. And so Luke is simply giving him what he has taken on to write. But his name means friend of God or loved by God. So there's something special about this man that Luke has attached himself to that he wants him to see Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. Here's what I've learned about Jesus. Here are the facts that I have gathered about Jesus. And I want you to know it. And he does that through his book in the book of Acts, in the book of Luke. He says, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Now that most excellent is why some believe that he may be a Roman citizen of some point or maybe even uh, up in the power ranks. But he says, I want to give you the most accurate account that I possibly can about Jesus' life. How many of you, when you tell a story, you, want to, you try to keep all the details right in line because you don't want to miss anything or mess anything up? That's what Luke is doing here. He's like, it's important to me that you know what this is. So Luke is writing concerning the life of Jesus in his gospel account. We studied Matthew's account. Luke's account is not that much different, but there's a lot more detail to it just because of the way that Luke is. He's a doctor. Doctors pay attention to the details. And so he's writing in such a way to where Theophilus can actually get a, a, a bird's eye view of who Jesus is without even have ever physically met him or meeting him. So he's writing concerning that. But then when we get into the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, now he's writing about the effect that Jesus had on all the apostles and the people. I love that. I think that is phenomenal. Could you imagine if somebody wrote a book about you and the effect that you had had on people? For some of us, it might be a short book. For some of us, it might be a book filled with really not good stuff, right? For some of us, it actually might be kind of cool to read. You know, as a, as a pastor, you don't know 
what kind of effect you have on people. And it actually is the same with you guys. You have coworkers that are watching you that you don't even know about. You have neighbors and friends that have an eye on you and they're watching every step that you take and you're having an influence on them, either positive or negative. That's a big deal. And so Luke not only wrote about how great Jesus was, but now he's going to write about his followers and how it plays out and how this helper comes into play. Because we all can accomplish a lot of good things. But those good things really mean nothing in the spiritual world unless Christ is attached to it. I can do nothing of my own without him. And you're probably thinking, well, you cut your grass without him. Yeah, but if I think about it, he gives me the strength to do that. He gives me the ability to do that. He gives me the know-how to do that. It's all in your perspective. And your acts from here on out are so important because they should not be guided by your heart, but by his. And that is what Luke is writing about. He's going to take these apostles and allow the world to read about what happened in their hearts when the Holy Spirit came on them and changed their life. He's going to write about when Saul became Paul because Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and totally changed his life and how it plays out all the way to the very end, as well as other important characters in the Acts of the Apostles. It's all because of the Holy Spirit's interaction with each of them. So why, what are they waiting for? What were they waiting for? Well, they were told to wait because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And so let's wait in Jerusalem. That's where they were centrally located. And let's just wait. Now, does that mean they hold up and don't do anything? In some respect, you could read Acts chapter 1 and 2 and kind of see that that's kind of what they did. But I don't think that's what they did. I think they carried on normal life. They still had to eat. They still had responsibilities to take care of. But I don't think they ventured far. In fact, I'm pretty sure they stayed very close together waiting for the Spirit to drop. And boy, when it does, it is spectacular. So they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to come. Why? Because that's what Jesus told them was going to happen. He said, that's who's coming. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. This is when Jesus was speaking to the disciples as they're getting ready to be brought before court systems and other um, dignitaries. And he says, listen, just relax. The Spirit, my Spirit, will come. It will indwell within you. And when you are asked a question that you're not sure about, he will help you. The Spirit will give you what you need to know and how to say. And let me say this to you this morning. When those opportunities come that God presents to you to be able to give your testimony, if you are living in his spirit and in tune with him, he will give you what you should say. The question is not whether you'll know what to say or not. The question is, will you say it? We always want to blame it on the excuse of, well, I don't know what to say. Mm -mm -mm. If you are a follower of God, the spirit lives within you and the spirit will give you what you need to say. The real question and challenge is... Are you going to be man enough, woman enough, teenagery enough to speak the truth? 
that email I got from our lawyer was so timed perfectly. I don't want to go. I really don't. It's not up to me, is it? If I'm going to live out being in the spirit of God and he's going to give me what I need when I need it and help me to say what I need to say, then I need to be bold enough to take that step and move out. And so do you. You've got coworkers right now that are coming to mind that you could share your testimony with. And you don't want to. I Trust me. <laughs> you don't want to. I know you don't. You're worried about the blowback. You're worried about what they're going to say or the mockery or maybe I'll get fired. Okay. Is that that bad? Because you don't know what the Spirit of God will do with those words that you share in the, worker, in the hearts of the hearers that hear it. Again, I'm not asking you to risk it all, but I'm asking you to risk it all. Be wise. Be in prayer about it. Listen. But you can't listen if you're not close to him. You can't truly hear what he has to say for you if you're not in tune with him. There's a lot of responsibility that we have in this walk to be so tightly knit with him that when he moves, you know it. And because when he moves and you know it, you trust him enough that you're willing to move with him. Is it scary? Yes. It's terrifying. But it's also not terrifying because I know whom I'm believed in and am persuaded that he's going to be with me all day, every day. All the way until the very end and honor the commitment that I have made and he will honor his side of the commitment as well. That's the great part about this. You're not alone. How are they to wait? Notice what he said. Don't look for the details. Their question was, is now the time that we're going to establish the kingdom? And he's like, no, no, no. That's not for you to know. That's up to God who has that under his control. That's his call. You don't need to worry about it. I love that statement. Because Christians all the time get so caught up in the details that they forget to live the life he's already called us to. Well, I don't know when the return is, so I can't, I can't, uh, I can't obey him. Really? I didn't realize that was attached like that. I thought he said, obey me no matter what, and just do what I've asked you to do. That's what I thought. Now, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty confident that I'm not. He says, that's for the Father to worry about. Look, Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Nobody knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Please stop worrying about things that are totally out of your control. They are a distraction. And they are used very well by the enemy. And it keeps you, it hinders you from living out what you already know you're supposed to be doing. So how are they to wait there to be a witness? He says, I need you to witness. I need you to wait, but while you're waiting, I need you to live life in such a way that it affects the people around you. Now, that's kind of weird for us because we think waiting means sitting and waiting like we're at a doctor's office until he calls. And that's not what he's talking about. 
Waiting means I need to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing until he returns. That's the waiting that we're supposed to be doing. He says, come in here in Psalm 66 verse 16. Come in here all you who fear God and I will declare what he has done for my soul. We should be talking about what God is doing in our lives, especially among us. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, so I can, I can brag about myself and kind of let people know how spiritual I am. <laughs> no. It is so I can encourage someone else about what God is doing in my life because they may be struggling with the very same thing. It's why grief share is so important and so vital. It's why young marriage groups are so important and so vital. It's why the teenage group is so important and so vital. It's why our go groups are so important and so vital. Because we are doing life with each other and we share what's going on. That's what being a witness is all about. But it's not just about talking to the believers. We need to testify to the unbelievers so that they can see what God is doing in our lives. He also tells us to obey his commandments. That was back up in verses 1 through 3. Look what he says in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. When we are in congruent with God, when we are right in there with him, he manifests himself in us so that we can live his life out. But there's a little more to that. At the end of Matthew 28, this may be the last time we refer to Matthew, probably not. But at the end of the chapter, right before the ascension, he says this. He comes and he speaks to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's like, it's all mine now. Go therefore. Now he's speaking to the disciples because I have the authority. Here's what I want you to do. Go therefore and baptize. Excuse me. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. That doesn't sound like sitting on your laurels waiting. It sounds like to me my waiting for his return requires me to do something. And then look what he says. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So notice what he says. He says, go make disciples. Please notice that's not just get people to pray prayer. That's just the first step, important step, but definitely not the only. The prayer is the beginning. Making disciples with them is you coming alongside of them and walking with them as they're learning what this looks like. It's the other reason why I believe the church is have not been so successful is because we haven't done a good job of being disciple makers. We've saved a lot of people. We've baptized a lot of people, prayed a lot of prayers. But we did a really bad job at coming alongside them and helping them grow. We've got to baptize them. That's a part of our obedience after trusting in Christ. And baptism is not the sprinkling I know that's kind of hard for some of us because that's how we were baptized when we were younger. But baptism is a conscious choice on your part to recognize the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through being baptized in water. As your old life is dead and being buried, 
under the water and being brought out into new life. That's what that represents. That is monumental, by the way. It is so important to your Christian walk. And then we got to teach them. Oh, no, no, no. I just, I just pray the prayer with them. I'm, I, I'm not doing that. I, uh-uh. Jesus said, go therefore, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. But I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know the books of the Bible. Learn them. I don't know the Bible stories. Read them. Well, I don't, I don't know about this or that. What about sanctification and justification and all those other occasions? Get a dictionary. I'm, I, listen, I'm not trying to be obnoxious or a smart aleck, but I can't do it all. You are required to study. To go after him, to try to learn these things where when people ask you, you've got something to offer. You've got something for the spirit to work with. And I love this last one. Just live in his presence. In my waiting for his return, I don't get the freedom to just go and live however I want to live. It is my responsibility to live in the presence of God. Why? Because he is with me always, even to the end of the age. And I, you need to recognize that wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you think and say, however you act or react, Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, is always with you. And that might deter us from doing the things that we do and seeing the things that we see. So where do we start? Well, he said Jerusalem. Well, we don't live in Jerusalem. But he was talking to the disciples, right? And that's where they were centrally located. He says, hey, don't worry about all the foreign mission stuff. Not yet. First things first, I want you to start right here in your back door. It is so much easier for us to go outside our back door and go way far away where nobody knows us. Because it's easier. If we make a fool of ourselves, they're never going to see us again. But to talk to my family... That's tough. Talk to my neighbors who I'm going to see probably every day. Yikes, I don't want to say anything that's going to offend them. I don't want to say anything that's going to push them away. Like, I, don't, I can't do that. You can't. Why not? If you're talking about the goodness of God, if you're talking about the cool things that he's done in your life, and if you're talking about truth, it's not you that they will be against. Jesus said very clearly, the world hated me first. And if they hate you, it's not you. They just really don't like me. It takes a lot of pressure off. I just want to be like him the best that I can. I want to follow him the closest that I can. I want people to see him in me. And so I start in my little Jerusalem. I start in my own little home. You know, I wouldn't be a very good pastor if my kids are just kind of all over the place, right? You can say amen to that. That's okay. It's the truth. Me saving the entire world doesn't matter if I can't even save my own family, if I can't lead them to Christ and model for them. That's where it's at. And then he says, now let's break out into Judea and Samaria. And if I had been quick enough, I'd have got a map up there, but I wasn't. Jerusalem's here. Judea and Samaria are north and south. 
And so now he's saying, now let's spread out a little bit from there. So let's start in our hometown. Let's do our work there. But every now and again, let's break out and let's go a little further. Where's your Judea and Samaria? Maybe it's your workplace. Certainly not your home. Maybe it's your far-off cousins and family that live far away. Maybe it's when you go to the beach or go on vacation. Maybe it's an an out-of-state mission trip like what we do with our kids. Our Judea and our Samaria would be pretty much kind of the rest of the state, the eastern seaboard, and maybe even into the United States quite a bit. That would make sense, right? But it seems so far. I I don't have time for all that. You can pray, can't you? You can find an organization and support them, can't you? And then he says, into the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the foreign missions. That's the ones that we don't like to talk about because we're afraid God's going to call us to go to Africa or something, right? I don't want to be a missionary because I don't want to go there. Well, you might now, <laughs> considering... I'll let you put the pieces together. Might be a better option. (laughs) Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, look, while you're waiting for the spirit to come, when he gets here, he is going to empower you like you've never been empowered before. You thought I was awesome. You just wait. You're going to do things you never thought you could do that are greater than what I did. And I want you to start here first. And then I want you to start spreading out a little bit. And then when you get the chance, I want you to break out further. But I want you to start here. And just so you know, that's how we do our missions giving for our church. We we find some local organizations and we pour into them. We find some organizations in the United States and we pour into them. And then we find a couple outside of the United States and we pour into them. It's the reason we do our in-state mission trip first in the summer because to me this is our Jerusalem I'm all for taking our kids across the the world but if they can't learn to serve the very people that God has placed them in in amongst of then what's the point Jesus said start in Jerusalem then break out and go further and that is why we do what we do so yes there's a little method to our madness but what can you do some of y'all are thinking man I'm too old to travel That may be, but again, you can still pray and you can still support. You can encourage. But the waiting is the difficult part for us. So while you wait for the return of Jesus, be a witness where you are by how you follow him. Again, you don't have to know all the right answers. You don't even have to quote all the scriptures to them, but you can live life according to what he has called you to be. You reflect his love by how you live. Amen? That's where we all are. And we're all in the waiting pattern. Because I certainly am ready for him to come back. But we don't know when that is. So in the meantime, let's be a witness in the waiting. Can we all do that? You think we can do that? Listen, it's not that hard. It's not rocket science. All of you have a mouth. All of you know what God has done in your life. All of you have experienced some neat things and some hard things. It's time we, as a church and as individual Christians, start sharing what God has done. We can do that while we wait. 
As the praise team comes, let me ask some questions. Number one, real simply, how is your waiting? How's your waiting? How do, how do you do waiting? How is it? Some of us are really good at it. Some of us are not. I know a certain individual in my family that in the waiting, they will talk to any person that will look at them. Right, mom? <laughs> my mom is not scared to have a conversation. Maybe we all should practice that. When you're in a doctor's office, why not have a conversation? When you're in waiting in line, have a conversation. I'm not talking about being annoying and obnoxious. But start it and see where it might go. See what the Holy Spirit may allow you to experience in your Jerusalem in that moment. Number two, how is your witness during the waiting? How do you do with that? I don't, I don't really like my neighbors. Well, maybe you should. They have a life just like you. They have a heart just like you. They were created just like you were. And they have a God that's going after them just like he came after you. So maybe you have more in common than what you think. And then lastly, are you more concerned with details out of your control or with simply being obedient in what you know to do? I want you to think about that because sometimes we get more concerned with the details that we will never know rather than just doing what we already know to do. So in just a moment, you're going to be waiting. What are you going to do? Altars are always here to come and pray. You can lift your hands and sing. You can sit quietly. But the waiting is for you to decide what you want to do. My prayer is that you actively wait for him. God, you are good and you are great. And I appreciate all that you have done and all that you will continue to do. And I pray that you will take your words this morning, drive it deep within our hearts, allow us to truly analyze how our waiting is and what we are doing in the waiting. Strengthen us this morning, God. Remind us of the spirit that lives within us and give us the courage to be willing to share when the opportunity comes with no worry or regard for what may come after that. We love you, we praise you, and thank you in Jesus' name.